Welcome to the Infinite Improvisation Podcast, Adventures in Music and Creativity. And I'm Steve Tressler in Seattle, Washington, and joined, as always, by my co-host Lauren Best in Owenstown, Ontario. Hey, Lauren. Hello. It's so great to be recording yet again. All right. Well, we're starting an exciting new series. We are. It is a special day here on the Infinite Improvisation Podcast. We have our first guest in our interview series. Ever since talking about planning this show, we wanted to have conversations with interesting artists and educators and creative people. And I'd like to inter- introduce our first guest, my friend, Mr. Edward Littlefield. And Ed Littlefield is a freelance percussionist, educator, and composer based out of Seattle. He is Klingit from Sitka, Alaska, and released three albums featuring traditional native melodies which he also arranged into the jazz idiom with the Native Jazz Quartet. The quartet represented the U.S. in South America as jazz ambassadors through the American Music Abroad program. Ed is an active educator around the country, facilitating artist residencies for students and teachers to help them learn more about Klingit culture and music and traditional ways of knowing. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Goodness, cheese. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. And yeah, I've known I've known Ed for years. I mean, we started playing together, possibly in a jazz big band. I'm trying to remember where we first first met. Yeah, it was probably friends. big band, and then it was also uh, I think we did one of your groups. Uh, man, over ten years ago, I think yeah. at Tula's. Wow, that's right. Holy cow! So playing together, and then we've been traveling recently to the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival in in Idaho, and. But most recently, yeah, co-teaching through a nonprofit Seattle Jazz Ed. So we have Jazz Ed himself, kids like that. <laughs> the one Ed? and only. Yeah. I tried to get him to believe they named it after you. No, his full name? No, it's Education. Education Littlefield. So, but it was really cool. So, yeah, seeing, seeing how, um, <laughs> yeah, your work as a teaching artist and how you're working with the kids and thought you'd be a awesome person to have on as our first, as our first guest. Yeah, good as cheesh. I'll, I'll uh, introduce myself in Tlingit yeah. too, um, uh, if you don't mind. Shak Hindus do you hut do a saw? Kagwantan ayahat. Kukna adi adi hutsiti. Kagwantan da chunk. Kuk hit ayahat. She kakwan dakna hutsiti. And uh, I do that because there are only about 10 speakers of Tlingit left in the world that were born speaking Tlingit. Um, and if you think about that, that's. That's pretty amazing. So uh, I always like to share my language whenever possible. So good mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. And so, tell us about how you how you started this, this project, the Native Jazz Project, or starting to fuse these indigenous melodies in with with jazz, or fusing other music musics together. When did when did that yeah. light bulb first? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, okay, so it's going to take a little bit of backstory to get to that point. So it's, it's all good. Uh, okay. <laughs> the floor we is go, uh, okay. So I started um, singing and dancing in my native dance group in a couple dance groups in Sitka. And so I learned, um, you know, how to sing loud and just music was not a written thing. It was something we did, you know, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. You know, it was just something that we uh, we did when we were walking around, um, when we were harvesting fish. You know, it's just we did it all the time and music. 
And then um, when I was five, I started, uh, like my mom took me out to uh, something. I don't even know what it was. But I, I saw this 20, 25 people playing this wooden instruments and it was a violin. And I'm like, whoa, I want to do that. <laughs> and my mom's like, uh, no, ask me in a year. Apparently, I, I, I kept asking her. So when I was six, I started playing the violin and it was actually a Suzuki group lesson uh, that they had on Saturday. And so I was really excited about that. That started my, um, my two paths. So there's like, um, which, you know, they were kind of going like this. So I was going to these group lessons and taking violin lessons where it was very formal. You know, here's listen to the music, play the music and perform the music. That was the reason. And then I would go to these things called kuik and uh, potlatches where the music was the integral part of community. Like that was, eh. so it was a little different, you know, being back and forth. And then uh, I started playing percussion in fifth grade and it was still, you know, separate. Like here's my jazz stuff and here's my tlingit stuff. And they were kept going. It wasn't until uh, about high school that I was asked um, see, I never even had this idea, but uh, uh, an elder said, I want to hear one of our songs done by a choir. I was like, oh, interesting. Um, and so <laughs> let's try it. And so we figured out, my, my teachers helped me like, hey, what scale is this? What, you know, what's the theory behind it? And that was the first step of me actually analyzing Tlingit music. And so we figured it out. It was a minor pentatonic scale. Um, we figured out some really basic harmonies, just essentially a drone, and it was performed. Um, and that was um, in high school. That was my first choir and Tlingit arrangement. And so that kind of started it off. Uh, then I went to college and I kind of didn't forget about it, but I focused on trying to be the best jazz, classical, Western musician I could. Um, and then did some touring and, and then somebody said, hey, what about those songs, Ed? You know, this is probably... Uh, mid twenties, like, Hey, what about those songs that you sing all the time? Can you do those in jazz? I was like, no, they're owned. Except there are some songs in Tlingit culture that are not owned, which is super cool. So we can, uh, I could share these. So I started off writing, um, I had a dream the next day about this the next night and I was sitting at a drum set and I had my drum in my hand and I was singing the, the, uh, the children's song, the one that's unowned. And uh, I started playing this groove on the drum and then into the drum set. And I started singing. Uh, that arrangement was done two days later. And that was the first Tlingit and jazz arrangement that I, that I created. It, was, it came from a dream and it was amazing. And then uh, about six months later, the first album, uh, Walking Between Worlds, was made. So there you go. Wow. I love that story. It, it brings up so many questions for me. But what, one thing that struck me right at the beginning, as you talked about in your community, um, like the, some of like w what that music brought to you, and you mentioned that you learned how to sing loud. And um, as, a, as a singer and as a, a, someone who teaches and shares and mentors in voice, I'm, I'm curious to hear you speak more about that but not only that you mentioned just with music being integral to community and like that was kind of one specific thing you mentioned that you felt was like formative from that but I'm um like I said I have lots of questions but where that took me is wondering more about this sing loud thing 
or other, you know, formative aspects that, that you felt were during this dual track were kind of shaping, shaping you. Right, right. And, um, I think that Western music, uh, inspires us and influences us in ways that we don't even think about since we are all inside this Western culture. And so when we're talking about, um, um, singing loud, it's a lot about, you know, when we're in, uh, you know, in choir or we're in, um, groups like, uh, you know, a trio singing, um, it's all about the group sound, right? So mm-hmm. that's like, it's something that there's an audience, right? For Tlingit music and, and a lot of indigenous singing, it's not a necessarily about the audience. It's about the personal feeling that you get from that. And so I always thought, uh, you know, this is, I don't want to sound rude, but I always heard these elder ladies, you know, singing their hearts out, you know, they would just, and it would be, you know, I'm in my violin training and my Suzuki method and Western. I'm like, that is really out of tune. That is so out of tune. I'm like, I can't stand it. But they were singing for the music, right? And they weren't singing for someone else. They were singing for the music, for the story for themselves. So that's kind of like um, an interesting, uh, you know, shift in your perspective. Um, you know, what is this music for? Is it for an audience? A lot of the times it is, you know, for sharing, for playing it. But it is also internalization of a story. So all of our stories and songs, all of our songs were stories. Mm-hmm. And they told specific uh, moments in Tlingit history. You know, they were parts of that. And so uh, when we're singing and, and singing loudly and singing full, it's, it's about sharing the story versus how we actually sound in our, in our heads or mm. outside. Mm. And it sounds like too transmitting like the, the feeling, the, the effective parts of that too, like the everything beyond the words part. Mm. Is that part of what you mean? Would that be? Yeah. It's, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's it's about the story. It's not mm-hmm. about the sound. It's just the vehicle of telling that story just happens to be using pitch. So if you really want to break it down, it's yeah. it's just uh, uh, we're singing or using uh, different pitch to tell this story. And there's lots of oratory uh, that my some of my friends that are in Alaska have studied, and it even has, you know, sort of a, a, a sing song quality to it, up and down, you know. And it's just lengthening that out. Um, and Tlingit is actually a, a tonal language as well. So if I said um, Shaw, uh, that means mountain. But if I said Shaw, that's woman. So mm. you hear the difference? Mm. So so even inside of the language, it's very pitch-oriented, mm. uh, which is cool. So random thought of the day. There you go. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned the songs being owned. Is that sort of like in corresponding to the story as well or, or maybe you could tell us a little more about that aspect of of when you were able to what you were able to do with what songs or what stories because you described a bit of that right um okay so in Tlingit culture and i'm not generalizing but i'm skipping over some things uh for that but uh there are two sides there's eagle and raven or eagle uh wolf and raven uh, for what we call moieties. And so those two sides are the basis of our social structure. Um, you, you know, 
hundreds of years ago, you couldn't marry an eagle if you were an eagle, you couldn't marry a raven if you were a raven, so back and forth, right? Uh, and there's this word called wuchiach, uh, balance. It's all about balance, going back and forth. Uh, and so every moiety had clans, and so underneath each moiety they had, and so they said pre-European contact in 1770-something, 1780, they had over 40 clans per moiety. Inside each moiety, inside each clan, there were multiple houses. And so that's in my introduction, that's what I gave you. I gave you my, my, uh, my clan, my, uh, my house, and where I'm from. So multiple houses. Every house, so break that down, moiety, clan, house. Um, every clan house had specific songs to them. So if you mm. s told a story or said uh, a song that was from this house, it was worse than stealing. It, 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 was, it was essentially stealing. So uh, the rules on that were very strict. And so it was a very uh, um, tight, knit, you know, it was very uh, controlled, the stories and the songs. And so that is still sort of the case, you know, you know, fast forward to right now, but people are getting more and more worried about losing all these songs. So uh, my teacher in Sitka was 90, 89, 90 years old when he passed away. And I was a, a young boy, young man. Uh, and uh, he knew over a hundred songs in his head, mm. over a hundred from different clans. And he would never share them unless he got permission from the clan. So mm. So isn't that crazy? You're like, oh, I know these tunes. I'm going to play them, right? He only sang it or shared the song once he got permission, mm. uh, even though he knew more songs than almost anybody in the town, like <laughs> from different clans and different tribes. Uh, so I don't know if that answered your question, but it is a very, uh, we, uh, it was, there was no language, written language until 1972. Mm. And so the orthography of the language wasn't written down. So we had to remember it in our heads, you know, hundreds, hundreds years ago. Then that was the only way we could uh, remember things. And so people had a little bit of a, you know, it was something they were proud of to remember a whole story, mm. you know. So mm. there you go. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I've Another, got a song. I'm, oh, yeah. I've got a song. I'm just going to play a little bit of this. And just to give you, this is... um I can't play the whole song, uh, but this is uh, a song from the turn of the century, 1900, 1901. And it is one of the first recordings of Tlingit um, uh, music ever in the world. Uh, it was recorded by the Smithsonian Institute and we got it. Um, I'm just going to play a little bit and we can uh, uh, check that out. Just to listen to the, you know, it's very ancient. It's 121 years old, 22 years old right now. And so... Just the way they're singing, it is. It doesn't sound Western. You know, it doesn't have that Western vibe. It's a lot of, you know, they're singing close to the right pitch. <laughs> you know, it's like right here. It's like, and uh, it's very cool. So you're going to hear a little intro and then we'll uh, play it here. Item number 14, cylinder number 6039, strip A. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
So that, and that's only part of it, of the recording, but we don't know what those words mean. We don't know what those songs are, but uh, we have this recording and it's very special. Just, uh, you know, some of it was the actual cylinder recording uh, doing that, but, uh, you know, the pitch was close, but it wasn't about the pitch. So mm. just showcasing that. It's, it's amazing to hear that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very grateful to you for sharing that, just to, to take a moment and like really connect through time with that music and to imagine like the just how incredible it is that that song is able to reach me over this expanse of time and space mm -hmm. and right. that like w that we have the honor of then sharing it w with you together in, in this virtual space and with others it's pretty pretty special sheesh i agree mm. well this might be a good time for uh share one of your arrangements of these traditional melodies so we can hear um, one of these non-owned songs that you're free to I love with. it. So, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, here is, I'm actually going to play that song I talked about, the the, the hook song um, first. And if we have time, we can play another one. But yeah. uh, this is from the original album, the first album I made. And uh, this is the original song. This is what it sounds like. Hakshe we duki rauk iya aha ana khawatana iya aha akshe akatsit ki iya aha 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 aya that is the main theme and it just kind of repeats and does that you know goes over and over again so i'm going to play a different one um and this was um i'm just going to sing the melody um and this is kind of a cool one because it's uh, featuring Jason Marsalis, Ruel Lubog, Christian Fabian, and uh, myself on drums. Uh, and it's called Hot E A Day, and it goes something like this.
All right. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And we all know that was also another little project to, uh, you know, kind of use some, uh, not quite contrafact, but like uh, use some other harmonies that are in jazz standards. And so that one was... Killer Joe. Killer Joe. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, okay. I was like, I heard that. Before. No, it was, I did it on purpose. So I was like, oh man, I'm feeling this groove. And you know, there's a couple other ones that I'm like, uh, I use rhythm changes in a couple, mm-hmm. but I put, I, you know, I, I moved the changes around to fit the melody. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- for these projects, I'm not, not ever changing the melody for these songs. Mm-hmm. So that is 100, one thing that I'm really like adamant about. It's like, the melody is there for a reason and everything else. And that's what we were talking about earlier. It's like that the song is the most important part, right? And uh, whatever you do around it is kind of the, mm-hmm. the extra. Hmm. So is that um, fusing this together and, and doing these arrangements, the songs, is that f- fully embraced by your folks back home or like everyone's, everyone's digging that you're doing it or do you get some pushback going? What do you? Yeah, what, I mean, what honestly, you, what doing, <laughs> honestly, there's only one person and, and this person had a, total valid right to uh say something and uh we figured it out and uh we uh compensated her their family for it and it was it was fine you know it was one of those things where like hey you know i know this song is public domain but you should have said this 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 and so we talked talked about it and it was totally fine um and so but yeah and so everybody else i mean i have not heard anything negative um you know, maybe people are saying that about it on the, you know, on the internet or whatever, on the Always. dark web. <laughs> so, so like, but you know, from what I've heard and people are excited to hear those songs and I've, I've got my family members that are actually learning, you know, these songs because of these arrangements, mm-hmm. you know, they're singing along. So it's a twofold thing. I'm like, jazz is, is, um, you know, an American uh, construct but Tlingit is predates jazz, right? Tlingit music. So you've got these like super thousands of years of culture and uh, going into this, you know, into this one little recording and, uh, ho- you know, hopefully inspiring kids, their students or human beings to learn jazz and to learn the Tlingit language. Mm. And I had a, I had a, I had a goal actually I on the, to write, uh, you know how everybody, a lot of singers sing in, you know, Portuguese, or they sing a French song, or they sing a Spanish song, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I was like, I want, I want singers to sing a playing Git song. So I wrote some changes, and we actually recorded on the last track, um, uh, last album that we did uh, of the trio. And it was a, you know, eight bar melody that with some cool changes. And the, I put it as a ballad, so the words were longer. I'm like, go ahead and sing this song. It's great. Mm. It's public domain as long as you say, you know, where you got the song from. So, mm. so well, all you jazz singers out there, if you want to learn a Tlingit song, let me know. Okay, we, we will. If we can, maybe we can we can link to that in the episode notes. If there's a way we can get that get that to people. That's a question I had for you about um, how open you are with sharing this music. Like when you were working with the kids, Ed and I were co-teaching a group of elementary school students who just learned to play their instruments that week and they threw them together in a giant orchestra all the wind and the brass and the guitars and the drums and we had to teach them to play together that was that was pretty wild but then we had another class of middle school students that could more or less play their instruments and we were teaching them some jazz tunes by ear and and ed taught a traditional clinget tune and um yeah the kids were great and just the way that you're sharing and saying you know it's just like what you told us like here's here's music 
you know, this is, this is for you to play, um, you know, respect where it came from. And you told us the story, but just your thoughts on, on that in general, how, how you, you share and as you're saying, which are, um, non-indigenous people playing these melodies and and appropriation kind of what, what your views are on that. I mean, you've shared some already. Yeah. I mean, these songs are public domain. So let's start off with that. They are open for use. With that said, there are some guidelines and that's whenever I say, I'm like, if you're going to share this song, you need to do this, 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 and then you're all good. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially it's uh, you name the title of the piece, you name who you learned it from could be me or, you know, me, and then who I learned it from and where they're from. So if I were to say, all right, we're going to do, um, you know, in a, in a group of mixed um, race people, you know, multiple, every, it's just sharing. I'd say, all right, we're going to do um, Hot Nia Day, which is a, ch- a children's lullaby taught to me by Ed Littlefield, who learned it from Charlie Joseph Kotlatk from Sitka. And right there, you just gave about 100 plus years of, 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 um, history of, uh, who you learned it from. So I'm okay. It, it's, uh, so with that stuff, those songs and the, the, the public domain songs, that's really all you need to do. You say, Oh, it's from Sitka. Who you, who taught it to you? Who learned, who you learned it from? That's really good for, um, for the other ones. I, 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 I actually don't share those. So everything you hear is either something I wrote or arranged or is public domain. Um, so once once you get into that can of worms, that's where it gets really uh, uh, squirrely. So um, so yeah, I I would say people can share and sing these songs and and learn them. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem if you have the right permissions, right? The right uh, way to say it. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I kind of answered that question, but. Yeah, I think so. Well, in some ways, the, the songs that you're sharing, you're kind of curating some of this music for us that's, you know, you're sharing the songs that you feel comfortable sharing. And um, yeah. Correct. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot more songs out there um, um, that are clan songs or uh, ceremonial songs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and actually, that was an interesting... I wrote a song for a movie called The Proposal, uh, and Betty White sang it. And... Um, it, there's a funny story in there. My mom was uh, got a call from these random random person said, "Hey, we're looking for some Tlingit music." She sent off. She thought it was a local person. Just sent it off. Uh, like three weeks later, uh, this guy from Disney said, "All right, we'd like to buy these songs." And she was like, "No, don't do it." She like totally backtracked. You can't buy these. These. I'm like, who are you? Um, but she goes, "I know a guy that can write something similar." So I got a call to do that. And it was, you know, and that's where the fine line is. It's loosely based on a, um, the words are different, but the vibe of the song is the same. So it was a Tlingit, it was a Kogwantan, my clan's wedding chant that I kind of more modified to fit their needs. And so, um, yeah, so there, there's, mm. there's a line and we're, we're doing this every, mm. every single day of my life. We're, we're doing the line. Uh, but, uh, the song that Betty White sings in the forest, I wrote that and, uh, it's about, 15 seconds that she sings. Is that, she says, can, can we link is, at the end. Is that a clip online? Can we link to that too? Yeah, you can. Um, right. Make sure you uh, shut it off when Sandra Bullock starts singing the other part. So, oh. yeah. It's, wow. uh, it's a funny scene. That's, yeah. That's quite a story. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for that. 
And um, yeah. Well, Steve, do you have a follow up question before I? Uh, no, go ahead. I I was ready. I was going to go in a different direction. So go yes. For it. So you mentioned not changing the melodies of the songs, and I wondered how that related um, to the aspects of it being a tonal language, like how the the pitches of the melody relate to the tonal aspects of the language, and whether uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> right. That's and that's tough because when we sing uh, a tonal language, the tone marks go out the door. Right. Obviously, uh, you know. Maybe not obviously, but like if um, if I were to sing "Shock Hindus Two, my Thlingit name, and I went "Shock Hindus Two, Sha uh, uh, is a high tone technically, you know. If we're "Shock Hin," it doesn't mean woman something. It still means man or a mountain something. So um, yeah, it's interesting. I have a friend, uh, Dr. Lori Hagee, who's a fantastic educator um, into brain science and the science of the arts and she's amazing um but she actually wrote a song and it was a it was an interesting conversation she is not indigenous uh Thlingit, but she wrote a song using Thlingit words using the tone mark so if it's like uh uh you hut do a sock she would do a high like a, a fourth up and then back down so it was kind of a up and down up down up down so there's only two like two pitches but um it was, it was an interesting thing, and we were like, "Are people gonna think this is a Thlingit song?" Because it, it sounds sort of like it. But um, uh, we figured that all, that whole thing out. But I uh, going back to the tone marks. The tone is really don't get carried over into the songs. So it's mostly uh, I, I somebody asked me like, "What what is Thlingit music?" You know, my um, my middle school or my high school version would be, "Oh, it's a pentatonic scale." But I, I think what it is now is major or minor pentatonic scale with chromatic passing tones mm. and uh, micro, like, um, mm. you know, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on the word. Quarter tones? But, uh, quarter tones. Tone, quor yeah. Microtone, microtones, microtonal passing notes. So they can go, uh, mm -hmm. th there's, they're found so, and like, and you're like, no, that's not the way, that's just them dropping. I listened to another recording. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And another recording, same thing right there. I'm like, wow, that is amazing. So microtonal passing tones. So, yeah. uh, which is very cool. I think that's not, you know, Western music is not quite like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so. And, and uh, yeah, describing it that way too. I mean, it's putting the Western lens on it. You know, the microtone mm -hmm. is not the, oh, here's the correct tone. And then here's the, uh, you know, that's happening, you know, when, right. you know, you stick Hindustani music or blues through that lens too. And sometimes you can see the the connections between the musical language like how certain varieties of what we call pentatonic scale you can find everywhere but other times yeah it's uh sometimes it feels like yeah we're trying to put the wrong language on what what it is mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and 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 uh, some of the songs that are you know there's a handful of Klingit composers or what we call builders of music mm. uh, out there. And, um, you know, I've found that some have a good sense, you know, there are some people that just have this Western influence. And so uh, some of the songs are starting to get this Western influence to it. But you know what, that's, that's life. And that is, um, that is creation. That's the thing you get uh, when you take the risk of creating something. And I think uh, the more music mm. from Tlingit people is better the more the merrier uh and you know there's you know we can all 
strive to go back as far as we can. There's a another great quote, which is again, which is essentially jazz and the you know apprenticeship program of jazz and how to learn is. Uh, but uh, this person said it a different way. Uh, Lily Hope said, uh, "My mom told me it was all about an upline, and you and you have to find." what your upline is and how far back you can go. And so for me, my upline is me, my mom, Charlie Joseph. And like I said, that's a hundred plus years right there of knowledge. And, you know, Charlie Joseph probably could have gone another hundred, 200 years who learned, you know what I mean? He could have gone back uh, multiple years. And so we talk about the upline and I, and I really like that concept because, you know, it's just, we are just the bottom part. There's so many things other, you know, that have gone on uh, before us. I like that concept. Mm. I like builders of music. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have a word for compose, so you had to put it together. Mm. You, you put the piece together, uh, and it often took years, you know, because you have to find. So what essentially the story or the song came from a story, right? And so you have to whittle down those that full story because you could tell the story in three days right a couple hours a night you know just keep telling the story or you can make uh uh you know what does the story mean in two verses of about four lines like how do you tell a story so you have to actually build that by you know taking away and and making sure all of these words make the same but yeah they uh they didn't call it composing they didn't have that word mm -hmm. so the you built built a song that gave me shivers i think that's a songwriting masterclass right there oh good <laughs> you know in terms of like how can we build up really meaningful components i mean how right. can we you know like bring that level of you mentioned like how can you take 3 days worth of storytelling and try to bring all that to the to the building table Oh, and yeah. I love I, I love that idea of bringing that much to a song, right? Mm. To, to the construction process um, or the building process. And yeah. and yeah, on the show, we talk a lot about process, creative process, you know, slow and fast, whether it's something spontaneous and what goes into that, how much structure there is, or taking a spontaneous inspiration like a dream and then shaping it into something over time. You know, this kind of continuum between what's spontaneous and improvised versus composed or, or built which i like i, I like like better yeah um use over it. a long or a longer period of time i can use it i can be a pilgrim you can use it. it you may use it yes <laughs> learn to buy it for yeah learn by <laughs> learn by it uh i think that's awesome i mean yeah the 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 speed of of creation is determines the it almost determines the vibe or the feel of the mm. piece too you know mm -hmm. i think uh if something was rushed we can feel it you know, mm -hmm. we know it, you know, or, uh, um, but, uh, if something was planned out and took, you mm -hmm. know, effort and thought, um, we, we can also know that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned noticing this is backtracking a little bit, but you mentioned noticing this, like the, the, the microtone patterns, like over multiple recordings. And you also mentioned noticing on recordings as a, as a younger person that didn't fit the sort of Western, um, categorizations that you've been taught and that it was kind of you could feel this um sense of mismatch right um so so mm -hmm. you, you talked about it seeming like oh it drive you crazy that it wasn't quite within sort of like the the western categorization that 
and I really related to that, you know, like I think when I was younger and getting really excited about all the things I knew about music, it kind of drove me crazy when things were, I knew like there was more there, but it was very outside of this, what I've been told was everything to know about music because it's the Western, um, you know, like constructs of that. And so I'm, I'm wondering like where that changed that you were then like noticing these, these microtone patterns and sort of like embracing that and I guess this leads to a bigger question of kind of what's lost when we when we try to like only take these aspects that we can identify like through through western composition techniques or you know as opposed to like investigating these these details that aren't mistakes that are that are part of it yeah I mean it uh it was well into my 20s so well after uh uh, being able to notice that, oh yeah, those weren't just mistakes that I was hearing. Those mm-hmm. are not mistakes. Those are specific things that, you know, um, that were meant for the song. Um, but yeah, I think it started when I started trans. So I've been working on with my mom, uh, working on transcribing, uh, more songs than just the public domain songs. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting with Kaguantan songs since that's my clan, but I would love, you know, to have, you know, just a library. So, and, and this is where it opens up another can of worms where you don't want to have that online. And so I'll tell you my concept in a, in a second about this because, um, about learning it from by rote, but, uh, but having it written down and using multiple recordings. So like, here's the recording from 1962. Here's the recording from 85. And here's the recording from 2022, right? Of that same song. So the evolution of that song. And so we would have three, copies of this song attached to their specific recording and all the metadata that goes with it. So it's like, uh, you know, uh, recorded by location, um, you know, all that stuff in there. But I think that's where I started um, figuring out that it won't, they weren't mistakes. Is like, well, as soon as I started transcribing, I'm like, oh, there it is again. It's like mm-hmm. you look at the piece of music and that's the beauty of an oral tradition is that it didn't change. You know, it was, it took probably hundreds of years to change in versus like five years, right? So in our, in our, in our, what we're living in right now, you could sing a song and next year it could be like, I learned this song from Ed and it's a completely different song, mm. right? Because it went through 20 different people. So, but Tlingit specifically, uh, they, we didn't like to change things. Mm-hmm. And so again, like I said, it probably did change. But the length of time that it took to change was just much longer. So that's what I say about, about you know, when did I realize it or, you know, when did it kind of click? It was, um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of uh, liberating, actually, too, to take that Western lens off. You know, it's it's interesting to mm-hmm. uh, to listen to things through, you know, as a as I remember growing up, you know, before 10 years old, you know, before I got super deep into western music and jazz so like what did it what did it i it was all about fun you know and singing yeah <laughs> so instead of this like judgy like oh mm-hmm. you you're out of tune or whatever or you you're you're you know you started in one key and then switched to another key it's it, like come yeah. on <laughs> that's Ed, my favorite it's yeah. like it changes and do you know the law of the instrument no it's if the only, t- I think something like if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like nails. Wow. 
Cool. So when you're using the wrong tool for the job, which is if your only tool is like a chromatic tuner and a piano and a Western staff, and you try to stick everything there, you're like using hmm. the wrong tool. And we see that all the, I mean, I, you can see this all the time. If your only, if your only tool is a grading rubric, well, school's going to look like data collection or, you know, there's, so then when you start to look at, use the right tool, or even in Western music, we're going to take a 12 tone matrix and put it on. Brahms like well this doesn't make any sense this these are all wrong notes you know so right. it's uh yeah just a different frame or a different lens to figure out what's the proper tool and I think yeah musicology and ethnomusicology has come a long way at, yeah helping people see different frames of reference for different types of music that's amazing I like huh. that yeah. I'm gonna use that man the that? instrument yeah you have to say you learned it from sleepy I Steve. learned it from Steve <laughs> sleepy Steve uh but yeah it, that kind of brings me on to even the the education side going back to when you were talking about your your upbringing and the music was something you just did in your community or something everyone was singing mm -hmm. together and something so lacking in western or american culture i mean some people get that in church you're in a big choir but i mean so much music seems like it's something for this you know the talented and the gifted or whoever, whoever can afford piano lessons and in isolation you have to go and practice by yourself down in the basement um and I guess kind of in your experience, like contrasting those, those, those two models or like what, I mean, what are even some ideas we can do to make, you know, what, what kind of cultural shift would it take to make music more, you know, part, part of the community, part of our, our culture, everyone in, everyone in the village is playing music, not just who happens to wow. take piano lessons when you're four. So if you could solve that for us, so I was go, like, go, go that, right that's, ahead. A, that's a small question. Yeah. That's a small ask. All right. Well, my general thought about that is that, um, you know, we had Tlingit people, you know, they're living in, let's say, the Moiety clan houses. You know, you got multiple houses in an area, but inside those houses, there was two to three families living in the each house. And so they were singing those songs as a way to share the stories, but also to pass time. Right. So what do we do, you know, to pass time? This little play with uh, our phones, yeah. yeah, play with our phones, right? And uh, and so I think um, using and so they had a communal set of songs. They had like a a set of songs that was theirs, and so whenever they were traveling, they could share those songs and be like, "This is us," right? Uh, traveling with the Native Jazz Quartet down to Venezuela. I uh, was at a rest a hotel and in the restaurant, they had a little function for us and they had a live Venezuelan band. And it blew my mind because they were playing sort of traditional instruments, but mixed with uh, drum sets and bass. But they had some uh, literal log drum that was about five feet long and the guy was playing on it. It was amazing. And then he goes in something in Spanish, they said something. And then all of a sudden the entire restaurant was singing along with this pop band. And I'm not sure that we have that. I'm not sure that we have that as a Western culture to that extent, where no matter where you go, I can start singing one of our outright Steve, Lauren, Ed's yeah. song. I, we don't have those songs. What is it? Row, row, row your boat. Happy you know, Sweet Carol. Happy Bob. Exactly. I was 
Caroline too. It's yeah, yeah. the weirdest thing. I was thinking of that specific example because I was like, yeah. it's sports that's done that. Like, I'm not a sports person and I barely knew Sweet Caroline until I like clued in and then used right. the community music stuff. So let me go back to that. Yeah, that's is, awesome. Is, is the karaoke what? bar? Is that our? What? Is that our? That's our new communal sharing area. Oh, it's a st start. Also, how backwards is it that we're finding music through sports? I mean, I yeah. don't want to like hate on sports, but I, I am not going to lie. I think that like music is more innate than than sporting competition. I'm going to go out and say it, even though it's maybe a close second. But hmm. well, what is I, I'm saying uh, also in addition to what uh what does sweet caroline mean like what is the underlying story of that do you know the me meaning of the words or do we just go da 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 yeah yeah, yeah. right or or you know we all know that but the difference i think in so something that could get changed is to go deeper in music go I, you know i'm not a i'm not a words guy my partner is totally a words person she like listens to words and goes it's this and it could be this or somebody said you know it's like multiple meanings and deep i don't think uh i i don't know what sweet caroline means right so we can sing it as a group but what is that mutual understanding hmm. so i go back to the clan house those people had mutual understanding of those songs and it would defined who they were to other people hmm. so you didn't have to go Hi, my name is Ed. I'm a, a pretty nice person on a scale of one to 10. I'm like an eight. Um, you know, I, I don't have to like describe myself. I share my story with you. And I think that's something that is really uh, not a Western thing. You know, like, how do you describe yourself? And the, I've heard it so many times or like you ask an elder a question and they jump into a story. You know, they tell you a story. They don't say this, this, this. They tell you a story about, and so I don't know if you all have experienced that before, but I've, you know, in a classroom, I've been teaching and I was like, all right, so-and-so, you know, what can you tell us about this? And he's like, long time ago, Raymond was, I'm like, uh-oh, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> what did I do? You know, and 15 minutes later, everybody's going, I get it. I get it. Um, so we've been telling stories for forever, right? Literally as long as we've been talking and sharing. Uh, and so that uh, is the basis, I think, of music and of this, uh, you know, not doesn't have to be global understanding, but like at least communi communal understanding, like the three of us can understand. And then everybody in our little circles can kind of get what we are based on the story that we're singing and sharing. Mm -hmm. Did I nail it? Write it down. Write it down. Did it. Well, that makes me thinking about uh, jazz culture and like the, the jam sessions where well, I really love that idea that you're, you know, even your, your house, your clan has music that you share with others rather than this kind of standardized canon and repertoire that everyone learns the same things everywhere. But that does make it cool in a jazz jam session where you can go in a jazz club anywhere in the world and not speak the same language. Hey, we're going to play Autumn Leaves and everyone knows the song and can play together and connect. Although who actually knows all the words to all of them and what it's about in the first, it's like abstracted. Oh, we know how Miles played it this way, but it's disconnected from the original show tune or movie, mm. uh, but it becomes this this other language of how we connect and mm. yeah, being right. a social music, we just get to jam with others like at those, even where at the 
at that Lionel Hampton Festival, some international folks coming, don't speak English, like, hey, let's play play this tune, and everyone knows it. Um, yeah, I was recently traveling. I mean, I was overseas in London, and I sat in with a mm-hmm. with a jazz uh, trio. There was a trio, and they're like, what do you want to play? I'm like, what do you guys want to play? And we and they, you know, set a tune, and we we played it. <laughs> We're like yeah. thousands of miles apart, yeah. different cultures, uh, you know, and and that worked. Also, the so it was some singers from all of Europe, you know. So some of them didn't speak English, but they knew. Uh, I was one woman from Japan uh, that was said the title, but then everything else was in Japanese. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't think she spoke English, but she knew that song. So anyway, that's that's a great way to build community and you know mm. connectiveness. Mm-hmm. I was struck by what you said. You were saying. Like, you know, these songs take a long time to change. But then you also talked about them just being fun and used all the time and, the you know, perhaps even the um, e- even the key changing while you're singing it. And and so it's like, the, I, I just, I, I love that contrast of like something that is um, indelible or, or constant or traditional, but yet this like fun, changeable approach to working with that, that it can be both something that is like so deeply rooted that it's not shareable, <laughs> but yet it can also be like a fun and um, like shift- uh, shifting and, and uh, exploratory way of like being with that. Am I, am I, am I going yeah. in the right direction with how I heard that? I, I think I think you're right, or I think that's a good way of describing it. It's it's more. It, it is a little bit of um, as long as you sing it, the, like um, the basis of it. So like uh, what the the thing I was talking about is there's this um, I, my first drumming experience in front of people with I was in sixth grade. I was drumming uh, not with this drum, but like I was drumming. And it's a really difficult song, so it's um, it's called Gooch Goss. And I had an unchanged changed voice at that time, and so I was like super music guy, right? And so we were singing, and it it's got probably over an octave. It's got an octave, right? It's got about an octave uh, range for the whole melody. And I, I'm not lying, I started it. It was screaming high, and I saw everybody go like that because you know all the dancers were like, "Uh oh, here we go." That it still wasn't wrong though, right? Even though I started it screaming high, the song wasn't wrong. Or if uh, all of a sudden after a verse, everybody's like, "This guy's in sixth grade. We're gonna just change it the key." Yeah, and it started right here instead of right. So uh, I think there's that built into it, safety nets, you know, but essentially it's never changed, though. Mm-hmm. Not never. It's rarely changed, I should say. And that's, uh, but yeah, there is some flexibility. Like, you know, I, the, one of the coolest things and most traditional things I ever learned in fifth grade in band was Mr. Buckles, we started playing, uh, and it was terrible. It was terrible. So he stopped us. He goes, we're going to try that again. And he came back and we're like, you know, Western music, you don't do that, right? You don't stop. The show must go on. But he was like, we can do better. Let's mm-hmm. stop and go. And that's, a, that's a, you know, if you're not getting it right, stop and do it again or, or yeah. change it. Like change, 
you know, change what you're doing. And I think that's a, that's a concept mm-hmm. that's easily easier connected in Tlingit culture. So uh, speaking of fifth grade band and the meaning behind the music, I was at the Coffee Clutch uh, German Bakery down in Lake City Way, and they were selling hot cross buns. And I was like, oh, fun. oh. And I, and I ate, you know, and I, was, I, had, I bought one. I was telling my students, like, do you know what this song is about? Oh, no, you know, it's a pastry. Like, if you, you know, I had one, you know, it was okay. It wasn't worth writing a song about, but the price it wasn't, went up too. Wasn't you know, amazing. one a penny, two a penny. It was like three seventy five for the hot cross bun. But three, yeah, that's yeah. like <laughs> three seventy five a penny. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Did it have the cross in the top? Is that the little? Oh, like, is cross, that what the cross the is? Hot okay, crust. yeah, you, you got it. Yeah. Know. Speaking See, of the band know, books, so many of oh yeah, we just have a going list of all the songs that are the minstrel songs in there that we're like cutting out. Like okay, we're we're not using this one. Why are we using this book in the first place? Anyway, yeah, that, that took another turn, but yeah, we don't have to talk about band books. But anyway, hot, hot cross buns. Mm-hmm. Hot cross I buns. can play it with a well, little extra feeling. You know, and and that's a I share this uh, I share this song that. Uh, so the person that invited me to write a, a choir arrangement was a really knowledgeable guy and uh, Paul Jackson, and he actually transcribed um, uh, 12 Little Indians. You know, he transcribed it, and and I'm like, you know, later we're singing it, and it's fine because he really wanted it. He's like, I'm an Indian. I want to do it, you know? I'm, so he's going to like death, nuzk, thing, get kiss, uh uh, Kisani. It was beautiful. I'm like, that's great. He loved that song. We had to stop doing it because they're they, like, that's not what we're trying to share. You know, that's like a really, there, there's a, another meaning for that, you know, another meaning and another meaning that we're, but we kind of went with it for a little while because he really wanted it. And he, you know, he was, he didn't know about the other context of that song. He's like, I'm proud to be an Indian and I wanted to do it. So Anyway, there's those songs out there all the time where we're just yeah. like, this guy was really proud to to trans tr- translate it, and uh, and uh, turns out that's not a very good song to to do in general. Mm. So, so I've been thinking a lot about this, especially with early childhood music and about how, like, there are song when we talk about the meaning of songs, right? There are songs that, well, there's the issue of just not having shared repertoire. But then the rep- like the shared cultural understandings we do have, especially around things like nursery rhymes, some of these songs are not the the meaning behind them or the history behind them isn't necessarily worth continuing. Like we don't necessarily want to keep singing these songs. We maybe have better options because they don't come from like the, the history behind them is there's problems, right? But then as we as we sort of take these things out of the repertoire, like where, and, and as as we were saying earlier, like where do we find new songs that have like deep meaning to us and that we can kind of come to come together on maybe other than Sweet Caroline, <laughs> where, where, you know, where it's really meaningful. And the funny thing about Sweet Caroline is I thought to myself recently, I went through this process in my mind. I was like, oh, do I even really know that song well? Let's start from the beginning. And so I tried to sing it from the beginning and I ended up on a different song's chorus because I don't, I didn't know the beginning of the song. Maybe, maybe da, 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 da. Can, yeah, yeah. Don't stop believing. I think people can kind of chime in at the beginning. That might be. Just a small town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know more of those words. Yeah. Yeah. I, I once had someone at a, 
at a St. Patrick's Day pub say, you look like a singer. Why don't you come sing a song? And this guy pulled me up on stage. He's like, do you know Don't Stop Believing? And I was like, I think so. Like, I think so. At that time, I didn't know as well as I do now. And he like fed me each line. <laughs> He's like, just a small town girl. And I sung it and we uh, we did it line by uh, line like that. Anyway. <laughs> manual karaoke from the... So this the- is another thing, right? Like, does our cultural understanding need to come from sports and bars and like nursery rhymes that we need to replace now because we don't just sing about like a pocket full of posy anymore, you know? Yeah. Well. Oh man, you just brought up a great point, though, by the way, of of the feeding you lines part. That is actually something that's very traditional mm. in Tlingit culture, is having a song leader, all right? So the song leader would be my elder, Charlie Joseph Kotlet. But so I was just thinking about that. I'm like, take away the bar, <laughs> add, a, add a bunch of people, like 20, 30 people singing a song. And the one guy, the one person that knows the song really well. And so what they would do, everybody would know the chorus or like the melody, right? Or uh, the, 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 the pitch, right? As, but not everybody would know the words. If you're like uh, another clan and you need help with the words, they would literally say the words right before you sing it. Mm. So da 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 da, and then we would sing it. You know, and so everybody's clear on the words. I, I just, I uh, it was a weird, like that's a funny story, but that actually starts with something. That's yeah. actually something we've done before. Mm. So, <laughs> are there other yeah. like? collaborative aspects um because like you you kind of mentioned like sharing a song saying this is who we are um and you know when i imagine that i imagine that that leads to and who are you um but like are there other collaborative or um you know call and response or i'm i'm making this very western language but you know other aspects like that yeah it's mostly, I mean, it's not necessarily in music, that that thing. And this is something about like the virtual and online learning and online interactions, you know, that we've had to go through. Um, you know, when, when in Tlingit culture specifically, it's like, if you say something that you get behind or you agree with, or you want to give, like, let's say I'm struggling and, and I'm having a tough time talking about something. Every three or four people would get say, they'd like say, do the best you can keep going, you know, and we don't have, we can't do that here. So, but that's the the strange thing. So I wouldn't say if uh, it's mostly music, it's mostly a cultural thing. So if I'm getting up and I'm talking about a, a, a loved one or like my father or something, and I'm, and I'm having a tough time, people will start like, stomping their feet you know like that we don't do that you know or i'm giving a speech and i say something very imagine that very poignant i say something uh everyone says ah or gonna cheese or you know they it's like this uh spattering of uh encouragement from the audience and i don't you know it's i'm actually gonna give a keynote address in about a month and a half two months and it's so funny because i think that's gonna be my part is like if you like something I say, go ahead and say something because, you know, sitting in front of four or 500 people, just me talking is like the most unnatural thing I can think of <laughs> growing up with that response where you say something and they respond to you. Um, and that shows you're listening, right? 
that is not disrespect. That is that is actually a a non-Western form of respect. Mm. Uh, but anyway, that's that's a little tangent there. But uh, that I, uh, you know, for music, you know, if we say Kogwantaniaki in the lyrics or something, people would stand up and start dancing. Mm. So uh, or Tluknachadiyaki, hey, you know the the Tluknachadiyadi uh, people yetki people would stand up and dance to that. So there is that sort of element of if you sing to someone, make sure you stand up. Hmm. Cool. You mentioned music and dance and calling people up to dance. And right at the beginning, you talked about, uh, you know, just music being interwoven and integral to community. And we didn't touch a lot upon dance and kind of movement. Lately, I've been thinking about music as a movement practice. But... Um, I don't know. I don't actually have a specific question there. You just talked about dancing. We hadn't talked that much about dancing, and it felt like we should talk a little more about dancing. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's definitely um, dancing goes with music. It's like yeah. singing and dancing are interwoven. There, you you can't really have. I mean, I guess you could have singing without dancing, but you can't have dancing without the song, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, anytime. Um, most of the time when, when uh, people are dancing in um, Tlingit culture, it is the same thing. It has got a sort of a formal, this is what we kind of do, right? This is, uh, this is our general thing. So I'm going to you know, dance like this, and or, or the ladies are going to dance like this. There's that. But inside of that, there is a lot of freedom. So I remember watching some elders, uh, get, you know, like you're like wow that per that elder woman is just like going to town it's amazing and 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 it was just interesting because the, she was doing the same thing that everybody else was right mm -hmm. but it was just something about the actions of her shoulders moving and then like the same thing as a as a guy i was watching the, the you know male dancers and same thing it was just some you know we would see all these different things uh about dancers uh, putting their own little twist on it, even though they're all dancing within the same, you know, kind of concept. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of fun. So just like the singing, it's not about what you perceive outside, but it is like, how do I feel? And so watching that is really, you get to see what kind of a person they are mm. as they dance. You know, when we play an instrument, you're like, Hey, if I look down like this, you know, that doesn't necessarily tell you who it is, but tells you what kind of person I am, right? I'm really focused, um, maybe serious about the craft. Um, my my friend Ruel in the Native Jazz Quartet, uh, he just calls it, he's like, we're the world's funnest band because Jason is a goofball. He's like, he's like just smiling and talking during the show. Ruel and I are like laughing all the time. The most serious guy is Christian, but he's still like looking up and smiling too. Mm -hmm. And so, and so when you see that, you know, that's, that's a little bit of dance though, right? Mm -hmm. Just the action of the four of us, like looking around and looking at each other. Um, um, that's sort of choreography and dance. Mm -hmm. So we're still doing our instrument, but, uh, you know, um, making sure that it's in the concept of, you know, what we're still doing. So I hope that answered that question. That's yeah. a interesting concept. No, that, that reminds me of, I was at a workshop for learning sort of Brazilian music and some Latin American traditions. And 
you know, I heard for and a lot of these, and yeah, we we're all asked to, to you know, stand up and we were dancing. He said in, in certain cultures, if you're learning the song, you're like, oh, well, do you know the dance? You have to learn the dance first. Or if you don't know the dance, you can't possibly learn the song. So the idea of just sitting there sedentarily, like playing a song without knowing the dance, that just doesn't mm-hmm. compute. Wow, um, I like that. Yeah. Wish I remembered yeah, there's exactly definitely... what... Oh, I was just saying, I wish I remembered exactly where that where that was from. But I love that. I mean, there are definitely motions and things that people do, you know, you know, like that. But uh, if you go further up, if you go further up into Alaska, like into the northwest uh, of Alaska, like Yupik and Inupiaq, and I'm not that tribe or uh, tribe, so I can't speak about it, but for them, but like um, the uh, they do songs, but it's almost all motions. And different motions mean different things. And it is unbelievable to watch. Like mm-hmm. they're saying the words, but they're also telling the story with motion. And it's, mm. I recommend oh. watching any of that stuff from up there. It's a, it's a whole nother version of storytelling oh. with music. Beautiful. I love the, the synergy of communication between like all of these different elements coming together and it's it's inseparable you know and when i think about the mm. synergy of communication and you're talking about the you know that line of time right of of how this has been passed down and yeah i just i that that's how i you know feel it or see it is this interwovenness and interconnectedness of of you know that we're not that we can't separate it out necessarily into discrete concepts or or discrete tones right that um Right. That that it comes all all together, not only in the concept, but like like through the time and and meaning and experience. Also, it shares so much mm. song and dance. I mean, it's there for a reason. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I was thinking, um, even before we wrap up, I think it would be cool to hear some bits of some of the other projects you've yeah been working on or have completed recently. I know we we're talking off air about you've been doing some film scoring and um other other uh compositions and yeah if you got any of those you want to you want to share with our audience um yeah so here's i mean there's some fun stuff um we like fun stuff on this show i like fun stuff so my friend i'm gonna play this one a little bit of context but like so uh my friend uh during the pandemic or he had written a play, but it was for kids, right? And so it's for ch- young, younger students. And uh, he's like, I want it to be electronic, man. I want it to be dance music. And I'm like, okay, so electronic Tlingit music. Sounds good. Uh, so this one is the opening song. Uh, so the storyteller comes in. So it's all indigenous, right? It's all based Juno, Sitka, like Southeast Alaska. And... Uh, and I thought this one was kind of an interesting thing. It's about 47 seconds, so I'll play the whole thing. But uh, uh, it's called Storyteller Funky Chalk. Uh, and chalk is is like a long time ago. Like that's what that means, chalk. So here we go. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
which leads into the top of the first scene. So that was like the prologue. Wow. And so did you, did you produce that? Yeah, I got, you know, I got more into, you know, doing all my own stuff, uh, you know, watching lots of YouTube videos on how to like make stuff sound decent. So. Cool. Did the kids, did the kids love it? Oh, they loved it. Oh my gosh. It was great. They had the chat going during, so it was all schools and so mostly schools. So we were, it was actually amazing because I was using QLab, which is the sound and light triggering, but I was using QLab here and they had a video production team making the zoom screens overlapping. And so it was interesting because you could see bear here and then the main character right here and they were talking to each other. And I was just like, this person is in Chicago. This person is in Juno, like, and they were live. So we were doing this all live. So I'm sitting there going, click, you know, we had a little hand clap thing that I had to do click, click, you know, and time it. And so that was just, you know, out of necessity, we had to figure it out. So that was one of those. I love the, the thinking of the concept of a long time ago with this like futuristic Mm -hmm. kind of like pairing of futuristic sort of sounds and, and, and production techniques. Right. Oh, that's a good one, too. These are all great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I think I've got one more. Um, I think I've got one more. I just pause. I love seeing yeah. that moment of you appreciating those songs, even without hearing them. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. So often people are like. Oh, oh I, I yeah. did <laughs> Oh, I didn't no. even notice. Sorry. <laughs> no, but that I loved that. I loved your own appreciation of like taking a moment with those songs, even the ones we didn't get to hear. Wow. Well, I'm I'm trying to find the right one. Well, all right. So I would like to share the, I have the original version of that song that I wrote, uh, my first arrangement, the choir arrangement mm. with Paul Jackson doing the introduction. So, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do non-Indigenous or non-Tlingit people share songs? It's that you have a person up there sharing that song. So this was this was actually a recording about six or seven years later. They did the song again with Paul Jackson. Uh, actually, it was about five years. But um, anyway, it's kind of interesting. And you, so you'll hear him speaking in a very traditional Tlingit oratory sharing and i'm only going to play about a minute and a half you get the vibe of it it just keeps going and all the words but you also hear the storyteller or the song leader so he starts uh giving them inspiration and then giving them the words so Mm. it's very cool so here we go uh this is uh my first arrangement of a choir song
Oh, boy. There's some great calls in there that Paul Jackson does throughout that whole, it's like a four minute piece and it's just so powerful. Anyway, that's, that was the first one I ever did Wow, years ago. Um, and it was really good to have him on board for that too, to support that. Hmm. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. And indeed powerful to listen to into the combination of, as you're saying, like the calling with the choir is just, wow. I, I think it's a beautiful blending of it, you know, and we're not talking about like, you know, you can't dilute once you pour two glasses of water in there, you can't dilute them, right? Hmm. You can't like separate them. So we're in this like Western viewpoint for a while, but we can hold on to things that we know. So, um, and I think doing stuff like this, doing, you know, projects like this for all, all over the place, there's a, you know, uh, lots of people doing this. And I think that's one way to hold on to that all while living inside of that, you know, this cup, if you want to use that analogy, you know, we're all in this together, but I've got a little part of it that I'm trying to hold on to. Hmm. Well, thanks for that. That's a. Is that is that the note we end on, or is there anything else you wanted to? That <laughs> yeah. was that was great, but that's great. Yeah, we. Um, I did. You don't have to go too in depth. I actually did want to. One other thing I wanted to ask about was the uh, the residencies that you do. I know you frequently oh, yeah. go back to Alaska, and just and I know you, you and the quartet uh, are doing yeah some guest artists and residencies and educational programs. Just kind of hearing a bit an overview about those about those programs and yeah, and so know. I I that's awesome. I travel. Uh, quite a bit and uh, gets me out of Seattle uh, for playing gigs. But, uh, you know, I have a strong connection with Alaska still. And so I do personally, I do artists in the schools residencies, which are two to three week residencies. Um, and recently, the last five or six years, I've been focusing on Tlingit culture, uh, language, music, and then the general art of uh, theater arts, so performing arts and language arts. And so th this program I'm working on um, is to, there's a, you know, the, the level of native kids, indigenous kids, uh, their reading levels are significantly lower than the, uh, you know, the other, the, the median. And so we're working on um, encouraging them to do, you know, to, to do, learn language arts through the cultural lens. And that's a really um, um, big buzzword around, you know, in, in Alaska is through the cultural lens. We want to teach, um, the children, you know, the students, how, um, you know, how to do things, you know, how to teach content through um, their viewpoint that they know, that they know about. And so that's one big part and it's super fantastic. We do readers theater type showcases with uh, sound effects and motions that they come up with to tell uh, traditional Raven stories. And they also write, they're writing their own stories. I have a lyric writing exercise where they write this big, long story and then pare it down to a one paragraph and then paragraph down to three sentences. And then we put that into a song, uh, a traditional melody song. And so they can use their lyrics for this traditional melody. And it's super mm -hmm. cool, super uh, uh, exciting for them to be able to, you know, have their story being told. Right. And so that's that's an important part, being able to have students tell their story. The other part is I work at the Sitka Fine Arts Camp, and uh, it's a fantastic program. Uh, right before the pandemic, 2019, that year we had over 1,000 students in uh, about seven weeks. 
uh, from all across the country, the world. Uh, I think there was eight or nine countries represented represented out there. And so that's a great program. And so, I, you know, I go different ways. Sometimes I'm doing indigenous classes. Like I did a, a class for a couple of years called Tlingit Stomp. And so it was all what you're talking about motions. And so it's movement and uh, singing of songs and telling of stories. So we essentially told those stories, added some songs to it, but then created these rhythmic um, patterns mm. uh, to help tell the story. And it was, you know, stomp. It's just rhythm on random instruments, right? So yeah, we would have drums and we did this dum, 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 ba, ba, just totally not Tlingit rhythms, total Western rhythms, but super complicated and very fun. Uh, and then we, for a number of years, we did the Sitka Jazz Workshop, which was originally called the Native Jazz Workshop. And that's kind of a fun one where um, we brought in uh, students from around the country uh, to do a vocal and instrumental. And we um, always did one song that I wrote a melody for and that everyone would reharmonize or actually just harmonize because I just gave them a, a melody line. So they would have to do their own work and then kind of like say, all right, here's the melody. You can't change the melody. Hmm. If the melody is timed correctly, you can you can put it in a different time signature, but just be sure that the melody stays the same. So just what I was talking about, that, that concept, um, you know, and sometimes it was just one and five, you know, like, and some other people got really into uh, like, oh, that's the flat, that flat nine. Great. Let's do it. You know, a lot of people got really in depth into it. Uh, and so that's fun. And that's kind of what I do. You know, I'm doing the in-person classroom teaching um, as a coach uh, and then summer camps mm. all over the place. So. Amazing. The one thing I wanted to say before we stop recording is that Ed? I know you mentioned show and tell, <laughs> and we didn't do any of that. But I didn't want to like rush it at the end. Here, I'll just talk about it right now. Then there's three main instruments in Tlingit culture, um, in Tlingit, you know, music. Uh, one of them is called the box drum, and I don't own those. Those are very expensive to make, uh, but it essentially is bent wood all the way around, and you beat it with your fist. Those are usually hung from the top of longhouses all the way down. So that's kind of like your house kit. Like that's your house drum. Like if you're going to sing a song, that's your drum use. Uh, they also have uh, these drums, which are more like traveling drums. And it looks something like this. Can you see the design? Uh, it looks something like that with the skin on the front. There's a design of a bear. Uh, and I got this for a high school graduation present. So it's uh, very uh, special to me. This is sea otter. Uh, uh, hide on the back to give it some flair and it's made of deer skin with a wooden hoop mm -hmm. and then they're also so in addition to the box drum and the uh, traveling drum or hand drum they also have these cool rattles and I actually didn't play that here I'll play the <laughs> it needs to get warmed up but uh, that's that's what that sounds like when it when it's nice and warm it's got this big boomy sound, and then, the then sea otter. yeah, you can hear this. It really adds. It's it's just that little little pop. Uh, and then this is a replica of a rattle that uh, um, was. It's a purchase, so it's not a um, tradition. It's not an old thing, but it's based on an old design. So it's got a little design there. It's got a, a person and uh, a frog. 
and a raven or a thunder mm. raven. It sounds something like this. Or if you want to add beat. There you go. That's it. Hooch. So, Ed, where can people find more about you online and listen to your music or, or your socials or where do you want to send Oh, people? man. Uh, oh, man. Add me on Ed Littlefield at Ed Littlefield one on Instagram. <laughs> no, I've got about uh, two posts on there. So you will encourage me to post more. Mm. Uh, and then Ed Littlefield.com. I've got a pretty basic site up there. Uh, and uh, I think you just search Native Jazz Quartet, Native Jazz Trio, Ed Littlefield. Uh, we're on Spotify and all the not the, the Ed Littlefield streaming. who sings cowboy songs though. No, you, you, that perhaps is you've Ed heard Littlefield of him. Junior. Oh, and he lives in Marysville. He called me once. We have like we're about 180 years separated in family. <laughs> we actually figured it out. It's actually kind of crazy. He's like, oh, that was blah blah blah. Uh, oh wow. I was like, yeah, it's like the same guy in London in or in used uh, is a Littlefield is a German whatever. It's a German name, and so they came over to into Ellis Island. So that's probably that's about where it split. Okay, cool. Well, cool and we story. can put those links in the show notes. Yeah, to Great. your music, not to your, the 180 years of Littlefield yeah. history. Although you know, <laughs> also they're compelling. <laughs> yeah, awesome. awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much. That that was awesome. That was a great way to kick off our interview series. Thanks everyone for for listening, and be sure to. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and, and on YouTube. And we'll catch you next time. Yeah, it's been amazing to have you here, Ed. Thanks again. And thanks to everyone for, for listening in. Thank you. <laughs>